0: And then Jesus, obviously, was the, the ultimate sacrifice. But that comes to my mind, just the whole sacrificial system. And specifically, there were some events um, tied with the, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament that were really significant. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of these events through the Old Testament. And this might not make sense at first, but it, it will, I promise. So Leviticus chapter 9, 23 through 24. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifice, and the pieces of the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Crazy. So Moses and Aaron um, go into this tent of meeting, and, and fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes these sacrifices. We see it happen again in Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. This is right after Solomon has finished Constructing the temple. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. So we see it happen again, right? This fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice. And there's a couple other examples in Scripture where this happens. I'm not going to get into those. You get the point, right? There's this occasional instance of fire coming down from heaven and consuming the sacrifice. And in a a similar way to Jesus, like the the sacrificial system being a precursor to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, I actually believe that this is a precursor to something that we see happen in the New Testament. That might— Seem like a shock, but I'll, I'll tell you the story. So, Jesus, right, the Lamb that was slain for our sin, um, died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for your sin, for my sin. He rose from the dead after three days. He appeared to his disciples over the course of forty days and talked with them, spent time with them, gave them the great commission, told them to go and make disciples of all nations. And then he ascends up into heaven. And right before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. And he told them that they'd receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them to be his witnesses. So sure enough, Jesus ascends into heaven and his disciples are chilling in Jerusalem, waiting. Like Jesus said, they're following his command. And then something happens. Something crazy happens. And I'm going to read it for you. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. sounds kind of similar to the Old Testament things I've read. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And after this, I mean, the disciples, like, everything changes. That day, later that day, thousands of people get saved. The disciples start doing miracles. They start to live like Jesus lived. But you might think it's interesting that I I drew a connection between the fire coming down from heaven in the Old Testament and right here, the the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples and it says there were tongues of fire on their head and and then everything changed. People said that they became men who turned the world upside down. What's the difference between these, these Old Testament examples and the New Testament example? The difference is that in the Old Testament, the thing that God's fire consumed are, are dead animals. Whereas in the New Testament, the thing that God's fire consumed went from, from being a dead animal to a dead animal for the, like, killed for the sacrifice of, of sins to humans' lives that were laid down as a living sacrifice. Right? That's, that's what the disciples were. They were people whose lives were laid down as a living sacrifice. And their life laid down as a living sacrifice was met with God's fire, right? The fire of the Holy Spirit consuming them, filling them, and then everything changing. He empowered them to be his witnesses. And I believe God wants to do the same for us, right? We might not have fire come down on our head, but when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, guess what happens? The fire of the Holy Spirit consumes your life, and you start to burn for Jesus, you burn for Jesus. Hebrews 12 calls God a consuming fire. I believe that our life is the thing that he wants to burn through. So the question that begs asking is this, is your life a living sacrifice to God? Is your life a living sacrifice to God? And um, I've, I've shared this question before uh, in sermons, but I, I answer that question with another question. I believe the, the question I'm going to give you is like a litmus test for is your life a living sacrifice to God? And here it is. Is your life about him or is it about you? That's a great way of telling, is my life a living sacrifice? If it's all about King Jesus, yes. That means my life is a sacrifice to him. If my life is all about me, it means no. My life's not a living sacrifice to God. Because with a, sa- a sacrifice is something that you give away, right? If a friend asks me to help them move and it's going to take three or four hours— And I sacrifice my time to help them move. I'm giving my time away. I'm giving my time to them. Similarly with God, when he asks us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, what that means, it's us giving our life away to him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life isn't supposed to be about us anymore. And I believe the devil wants to seduce you, seduce us into living lives all about ourselves. That's just the way the world lives. That's normal. It's normal to live life for me. But that's not the kingdom, right? The devil has an agenda for your life, and God has an agenda for your life. And and the devil's agenda for your life sounds really innocent it's you live for you. That's the devil that's what the devil wants for your life is for you to live for you. What God wants for your life is, is for you to lay your life down as a living sacrifice to Him. And what will happen? The fire of the Holy Spirit will consume you and everything will change. The scary thing is that if you live for yourself, you'll die without Jesus. That's scary. I fear, my fear is that where a lot of us are at with with this, is your life about you, is it about God, is we're like somewhere in the middle. We kind of float in the middle. My life is kind of about me, but it's also kind of about God. A.W. Tozer, he said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Let Let that sink in for a second. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And, you know, that's some pretty heavy stuff. The, the last thing I want for you to do, though, is, like, is to go home and feel depressed and really hard on yourself because you're like, man, I don't meet this mark. I fall so short of this. That's, that's not what I want. That's condemnation, right? Conviction is, is feeling something, like, rise up in you, and you're like, I'm going to do something about it. Because we can, right? Like, don't, don't feel terrible about yourself because you evaluate your life, and you're like, I'm not a living sacrifice, the, the proper response is doing what the scripture says, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. And the cool thing is that we, we can do that, right? The words that follow are holy and acceptable. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. In Christ, we are made holy and acceptable. I, I love uh, John the Baptist, what he says when, when he sees Jesus before he baptizes him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. With sin, we we talk about sin being forgiven, right? We talk about um, God cleansing us from our sin, that kind of thing. I I love that language, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus took away your sin, so in him you are holy. So you can present yourself to him, right? Like the time is now, you can do that. And this is worship, it says this is our spiritual worship. Worship is is not just a, a musical thing that we do on Sundays. It is, but, but worship is what happens when we are fully given over to God. That's what worship is. So this is our first response to the gospel. 11 chapters of what, what did Jesus do for us, and then this. First thing, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. That's, that's our response. Okay, and then I'll, I'll move on to the next thing. So second command, second clear command in response to the gospel I love this one. He commands us to not be conformed to the world. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world. So the truth is, we will be conformed to something. You you do not have a choice about whether or not to be conformed. You do have a choice, however, what it is you're conformed to. Okay, we will all be conformed to something. And like I said, I'm a simple guy. I think there's two things we can be conformed to as humans. We can either be conformed to the kingdom or we can be conformed to the world. Two options. And the way in which we're conformed to the world might take a lot of different shapes. But I think it's simple. We're conformed to the kingdom or we're conformed to the world. And as Christians, I'll just say this. Our lives should look so different from the world. Our lives should look so different from our unbelieving friends, coworkers, classmates. If your life looks identical to the life of someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, then you are probably not following Jesus. Simple, right? If your life looks identical to the life of someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, you are probably not following Jesus. Um, back before I, I came on staff with H2O, I worked for uh, an insurance company. Sorry, <laughs> insurance company. I feel like people hate insurance, um, but I, I had, like, kind of liked working there. Kind of sucked, but I had it. My favorite thing about the job was my relationship with my coworkers. I had a pretty good relationship with my coworkers. workers I talked to them about Jesus and stuff, and I remember one time at work, we were uh, talking, and I had mentioned that I was going to propose soon to my wife Ashley and they were like, "Oh, it's so cool." And they started asking me questions about proposing, my relationship, and I was answering their questions and they're like, "Oh, do you guys live together?" And I was like, "No, we don't. We don't live together. We're not going to live together till we get married." And they're like, "What? Are you really? You don't you're not going to live together till you get married? That's crazy, dude. Like how are you going to know if it's going to work out, you know?" And I'm like, "I'm, just, I'm <laughs> we're not living together till we get married. I'm sorry." And they're like, well, do you guys sleep together? I'm like, well, that's an inappropriate question to ask at work. But no, we don't. We're waiting. We're not going to have sex until we get married. And uh, man, th- it went from shock to like, they're like, you're an idiot. You, you're not going to have sex with someone until you get married to them? Like, what? why? And uh, I remember feeling, feeling like some pressure in that moment. Like, man, they, they, all of these, there was like 10 of, uh, so I'm like, they all think I'm super weird. Um, I felt a little uncomfortable, but when I, when I walked away from there and was thinking about it, I was super encouraged. I was encouraged because I realized my life, there's things about my life that look different from the world. And that's good. Because Jesus looked different from the world. So our life should look different from the world. I think a, a good way to understand what it is we are, are conformed to, whether it's the world or the kingdom, is by asking yourself, what standards do I use to evaluate success in my life? The standards that we use to evaluate success in our life, I believe, are a good indicator of what, what we are conformed to. There's world standards for success, and then there's kingdom standards for success, and I, they are extremely different. We, we did a sermon series a while back called The Upside Down Kingdom, and I don't remember anything from the series other than the name. And I love the name. I love the name because the kingdom that we're in, God's kingdom, is upside down from this world. It is totally different. So the standards of the kingdom and the standards of the world are so different. What are some of the world's standards for success? Net worth, probably the biggest one. Net worth, education level, popularity, physical attractiveness, career, and probably a bunch of other things. I didn't put too much thought into this. It's not an exhaustive list. And, you know, I'm not going to say that those things don't matter. But I will say that in light of the kingdom, they barely matter. Okay? They barely matter. In light of the kingdom, your net worth barely matters. (laughs) And here's why. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Philippians 3.20 says, Says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a sojourner. A sojourner, a synonym, is is like pilgrim or one who passes through. You're you're in exile. Your citizenship is in heaven if your life belongs to Jesus. Not this world. Your citizenship is more so in the kingdom of heaven than it is in this world. So these things that matter so much to the world barely matter to us. They barely matter. I think there's kingdom standards for success. I shared some of the world standards for success. Here's some of the kingdom standard for success. And there, I, I put three. They're really like actually all the same thing though. <laughs> um, obedience to God, first and foremost. That's the kingdom standard for success. Are, do you obey Jesus? Obedience to God, loving God, loving people. Like I said, I think these are pretty much all lumped into the same thing, um, these are the kingdom standard for success. These are, are much better standards to evaluate our life with. Uh, I remember back my freshman year of college, right after I met Jesus, Grant was discipling me. And he started challenging me to do evangelism with him. And I did. Um, and I was really, really nervous the first few times. And I, I, looking back on that, I believe the reason I was nervous is because I had judged myself. Um, by the standard of popularity for so long. Like, all through high school, my life was all about popularity. That was the the standard of success that I held myself to in life. And (laughs) if there's anything that's going to make you less popular, it's talking to college students about Jesus, right? So Grant challenging me to go do this with him, I would go and do it with him, and I was so nervous because I was doing this thing that I knew wasn't popular to the people around me. And my mind needed renewed, which we'll talk about in a second. That's the third of application, but my mind re- needed renewed, and, uh, and it was. Over time, I started to, to realize that popularity is a stupid standard. It's just stupid, because the opinions of people, like, they're not unimportant, but like, God's opinion matters so much more than the opinion of people, right? So I, I did start to, to uh, evaluate success in my life by a different standard, it was obedience to God, and what I found is that obedience to God matters so much more than popularity, And that was a liberating thing to recognize. And in my experience, really the the primary thing that causes us to be conformed to the world and evaluate ourselves based off of these world standards that I shared is this false need for the approval of man, which I kind of just talked about for a second. Um, This false need for the approval of man. And, And the truth is that you don't need the approval of man when you have the approval of God. Because God's eternal, right? Man is just temporary. You don't need the approval of man when you have the approval of God. Galatians 1.10 says, this is Paul speaking, he says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Paul's saying, like, these things don't go together. The approval of man can't be important to me if I'm a servant of Christ. That's what matters, and I have his approval. Jesus Jesus talks about this, and he, like, brings it to a whole nother level. Oh, my gosh. Um, He brings it to a whole nother level. Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 11, this is, these are the last two beatitudes. And Jesus is teaching. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so... They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, not only does the approval of people not matter, but he's saying, if you follow me, there's a good chance you're going to get shredded for it. Like, there's a good chance people are going to revile you and utter evil against you falsely on my account. And Jesus says, if that happens, like if you lose the approval of man and people shred you and speak evil against you, you're actually blessed. You're blessed. That's so cool. You don't need people's approval when you have God's approval. Obedience to Jesus, loving him, loving people, those are are far better standards to hold ourselves to in life. So that's our second response to the gospel, the second uh, point of obedience. Don't be conformed to the world. The alternative is be conformed to the kingdom. Be conformed to the kingdom. So present yourself as a living sacrifice and don't be conformed to the world. And really, all three of these points go together. They all fit together really nicely. So let's look at the the third one, the third and final command that is our response to the gospel. Here it is. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is my favorite one. Be transformed. Once again, that's an interesting command. Have you ever commanded someone to be transformed? It's an interesting command. But we get the way. How does transformation happen? It's through the renewal of our mind. Be transformed by the renewal of of our mind. So our mind, obviously, it's like the the control center of our attitudes, thoughts, actions. And the truth is, if you want a transformed life, you have to have a renewed mind. You have to have a renewed mind. I I love talking about the mind. I think it's, it's so important. I think the Bible has a ton to say about it. I want to just throw out a couple, like, paradigms, a couple points that I I think are really important before I really get into talking about this. One, God cares about your mind and what you think. He he sees your mind and what you think, and he cares about it. And then two, what you believe and think about God, yourself, and people, it matters way more than you think it does. Okay, so, and if, if we want a transformed life, we have to have a renewed mind. I've always uh, understood the renewal of the mind to be synonymous with sanctification, okay? Sanctification, that's like a Christian word that gets thrown around sometimes. Um, sanctification is, is the process of being set apart or made holy. I would say sanctification is really just God making us more like him. And I want to I talk about sanctification for a minute, so... Uh, a scripture that I believe gives some good insight into sanctification is Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And this all is related to the renewal of the mind, sanctification. So here it is, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. It's talking about Jesus. and um, Well, the second part's about Jesus. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for a single time sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that last part, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Uh, This scripture, like I said, has always been the scripture that comes to my mind when I think about sanctification, and I, I, I think it's in part because it's interesting to me. It's interesting because of the tenses of that last verse, He has past tense perfected, right? God has past tense perfected for all time, those who are present tense being sanctified. That's kind of weird. How can you um, perfect something that's being changed? You know, it's kind of a mystery. It's kind of bizarre. Um, I'll try to explain it. So what it means when it says that he has past tense perfected, is it means this. When you respond to Jesus, you say yes to Jesus, and you give your life to him, You positionally are 100% right with God. If you you die right after you make that decision and you stand before God, he will see you as 100% righteous. When he looks at you, he will see the sacrifice of Jesus. You're spotless, you're clean, your sin is washed away. Which, praise God, that's like awesome. If you haven't made that decision to respond to Jesus and say yes to him, sure it does require you to lay your life down as a living sacrifice, but it's the best decision ever. The alternative is die and stand before God and be judged for your sin. And I promise you that won't go well. It will not go well. But when you do say yes to Jesus, you are 100% perfected in God's sight. It's done. Jesus says it is finished. You are righteous completely. There's nothing you can do to add to your righteousness. There's nothing you can do to take away your righteousness. If you're in Christ, you're clean. Period. But we need sanctified right? And this is why I tie it with the renewal of the mind. It's because we have been trained to think through life by a fallen, broken, sinful world. We've been shaped by a fallen, broken, sinful world. And God wants to change that in us, right? He wants to make us more like Him, and that requires changes to be made in our mind. Does that make sense? Yeah? Hopefully? Okay. Cool. So, Who knows that God's way of thinking about things and our way of thinking about things is a little bit different? By a little bit, I mean a lot. God's way of thinking about things and our way of thinking about things is very, very different. Isaiah 55, I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How much different are God's thoughts from our thoughts? It's as high as the heavens are from the earth. And then Romans 11, which we, Grant, read this last week and talked about this. Romans 11, 33 through 34, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? So God's way of thinking about things and our way of thinking about things are radically different. And what God wants to do, he wants to align our thinking with his thinking. And when our thinking changes, our life is transformed. When our mind is renewed, our life is transformed. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I think, simply put, the process of sanctification and, and the renewal of the mind is God teaching us how to think with the mind of Christ. And this is like pretty. This is pretty ambiguous, right? I'm talking about some really lofty, ambiguous things right now. I'm going to get really like practical and simple. So, as I said before, we've been trained to think in specific ways by a fallen and broken world. I'll just give you some examples of normal ways of thinking that are so not kingdom, so not mind of Christ. One, I think it's so normal in our world for people to be offended by people. Offense is normal, and it's normal for people to justify themselves in their offense. But is that kingdom? Is that the mind of Christ? Absolutely not. Jesus had every right to be offended. Jesus had more right to be offended than any of us in this room. He was perfect. He, all he did was love people and heal people and die for the sins of the world. And people rejected him. People despised him. He was arrested and beaten. That's offensive. Right? That's offensive. Imagine you're, you get punished for doing something that you like, didn't even come close to doing. That's offensive. Jesus was not offended, though. It's normal to have problems with people. That's normal in the world. It's normal to have problems with people. But the way Jesus lived, people were not the problem. People were the mission. Did he confront people? Sure, but people were the mission. They were never the problem. Us as Christians, it should be abnormal for us to be offended and have problems with people. It's normal in the world to hold on to unforgiveness when someone's wronged you. It's kind of similar to the first example, but that's, it's normal. It's normal to hold on to unforgiveness when someone's wronged you. That isn't the kingdom. That isn't the mind of Christ. Ephesians 4.32, we're commanded to forgive just as God forgave us. We have done far more wrong against God than anyone has ever done to us. And guess what? God forgave us. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is he, hanging on a cross, forgives the people who put him there. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. That's what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross and he looked down at the people who were mocking him, who put nails through his hands, and he's weeping and he says, Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. That's the mind of Christ. Do we have that mind? Man, how awesome would it be to have that mind? How awesome would it be to have absolutely not an ounce of unforgiveness in our life? That's the renewed mind. It's normal in the world for me, myself, and I to be my mind's focus all day, every day. It's normal. It's natural. It's how we're taught to think by the world. It's all about you. That's not the kingdom. That's not the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 says, count others more significant than yourself. Look not only to your interests, but to the interest of others. And I actually think it says, have this mind among you which I, I, didn't, I don't have the whole verse, but um, that's the kingdom, right? Don't count others more significant than yourself. Jesus said straight up, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the kingdom, it's not normal to, for me, myself, and I to be my mind's focus all day, every day. It should be normal to let God and other people be my focus. That's the kingdom. That's the mind of Christ. In the world, it's normal for us to be doing just as good as things are going, right? It's normal to be determined by our circumstances, right? If my circumstances are bad, I'm, I'm not doing well, right? If I got in a car accident and I, like, I don't know, got injured and whatever, like, life sucks, I'm struggling, I'm not doing well. That's not the kingdom. I would argue that in the kingdom, we don't have to be determined by our circumstances because the Bible says count it joy when you face trials, of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the kingdom. In the kingdom, we can have peace when things are terrible. Jesus had so much peace, he fell asleep in the middle of a storm. (laughs) It's like a hilarious story, right? When the storms happen and the disciples have to come and they wake him up, and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. It was a storm so bad that they thought they were going to die. Jesus is just snoozing. Right? He had so much peace. We can carry peace through terrible circumstances, and we can be okay. That's the kingdom. That's the mind of Christ. Don't be determined by your circumstances. It's normal in the world, in the world's way of thinking about things, to be ruled by insecurity. It's not the mind of Christ. Colossians 2.10 says, You are complete in him who is the head of every power and principality. You're complete in Jesus. No need for insecurity. Right? That's the kingdom. That's normal in the kingdom. It's, it's normal in the world for our minds to be ruled by anxiety and worry and stress. That's normal. The world teaches us that. Right? It, like stress is, I mean, there's some good stress, sure, but like there's a lot of bad stress. Right? And in general, people, were so stressed out all the time. We're so anxious all the time. Is that the mind of Christ? No. Jesus had tons of things to be stressed and anxious about. He was homeless. He was okay with it, though. Jesus had more reason for anxiety than any of us. Yet he spoke, Matthew 6, don't be anxious about your life. Jesus said that. God wants to renew our mind, guys. There's so many, and I could go on and on. That's like uh, seven, six examples. I don't know how many. I could probably go on and on forever. You get the point. The world's way of thinking about things in the mind of Christ are so different. God wants to renew our mind and teach us how to think how he thinks. He wants to align us with truth. So I'll give us just a few steps in, like, how to have a renewed mind. First step, simply, is, like, the first two things I talked about, right? Right? Um, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. I believe those those two things will get you well on your way to living with a renewed mind that's aligned with the mind of Christ. Second thing, pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to your thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking your thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take your thoughts captive and make them obey Christ. We can do that. Whenever there's a, I love this, whenever there's a command in Scripture, attached to every command in Scripture is grace to carry it out. Right? The, the command, take your thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. We can do that. You can do that. You don't have to be determined by your thoughts. You don't need to be taken captive by your thoughts. You can take your thoughts captive in Christ. You think, I think, thousands of thoughts a day. How many of our thoughts This is just interesting. How many of our thoughts are aligned with truth and with God and his kingdom and his word versus how many of our thoughts are aligned with hell (laughs) and lies from the enemy? Take your thoughts captive and and test them against the word of God. I think there's so many ways to do that. Um, I think journaling is super helpful. Like if you're thinking, if you're spiraling in your mind and you're thinking all kinds of things that are you recognize this is so not God. Like, the way that that I'm thinking right now isn't aligned with the kingdom. Write your thoughts out. Bring them to God. Ask him to transform your mind. He will. So take your thoughts captive. That's the second thing. Third thing. What are you feeding yourself? Truth is the diet of a renewed mind. Okay, truth is the diet of a renewed mind. If all you feed yourself, all you feed your mind is TikTok and Netflix every day, you're going to end up thinking how the world thinks, you know? You got to feed yourself truth. Truth, right? It's like Jesus says, man shouldn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I I love like using this example. It's like imagine if you ate once a week. You consumed food one time a week. You'd probably die after a while. Like you, you would die of malnourishment after a while. That's what we do in a spiritual sense so often. Like, what if, if this is the only time each week you're consuming truth? You will not be able to live spiritually. You will die. <laughs> like, feed yourself truth. If we're feeding ourselves truth, like, that, that's fuel for having a renewed mind, for aligning our thinking with God's thinking. Know the Word of God. Let the Word of God shape how you think, and your mind will be renewed, and you will be transformed. That's what will happen. So present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. Pay attention to your your thoughts. Pay attention to your mind. Don't just kind of let your thoughts rush by every day. Like, grab them. You know, think about them. If you're walking through the day and you have a lustful thought in your mind, grab it. Think about it. Like, this isn't God's thought. This isn't me. I'm free from this. It's a powerful practice. And then What are you feeding yourself? Truth is the diet of a renewed mind. Feed yourself truth. And the awesome thing is that that as our mind is renewed and we are transformed, the byproduct is what the rest of the verse says. It's living in and understanding the will of God. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. As our mind's renewed and we're transformed, the byproduct is living in and understanding the will of God. Uh, I read this commentary that I thought was really cool. On on that last part, um, as a Christian is transformed in his mind and is made more like Christ, he comes to approve and desire God's will, not his own will for his life. Then he discovers that God's will is what is good for him, and that it pleases God, and is complete in every way. It is all he needs. But only by being renewed spiritually can a believer ascertain, do, and enjoy. The will of God. So just in summary, right, first thing, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Your life is not about you. Lay it down at the feet of King Jesus, and what will happen, right? In the same way that the fire of the Holy Spirit consumed the lives of the apostles in Acts chapter 2, when your life is a living sacrifice, it will be the offering that God consumes with this fire, he will, he will empower you. He will, he will set you on fire for the gospel. And being set on fire for Jesus is the best thing ever. I promise. Don't be conformed to the world. Adopt different standards for success. Right, Obedience to God, loving God, loving people. Those are far better standards than net worth, popularity, physical attractiveness. Those things barely matter in light of the kingdom. And then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Feed yourself truth. And God will change the way you think. And as the way that you think changes, the way that you live will change. Your life will be transformed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And worship team, you can, you can come back up here. God, I pray that you would just get us to a spot where we lay our life down as a living sacrifice to you. Because you are worthy. Why? Because you're worthy. It's not about us. It's not about, like, finding the thing that's just going to make life work from now on. No, the main reason is because you're worthy, Jesus. You, God, you made us. You gave us life. You are worthy of our life. Laying our life down to you, Jesus, is what we were made for. So, God, make us a living sacrifice. Consume us with your fire, please, We need you. God, as a church, we need you. Our campus needs you. And fill us with your spirit, God. I pray that you'd help us to be people that aren't conformed to the world around us. God, that you'd make us okay with being different. And God, I pray that you would transform us and renew our mind. The way that we think needs to be aligned with the way you think. Because the way that we think just doesn't work a lot of the time. So God, make us think how you think. We love you, Jesus.